Barum is relationships. Barum is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about? The room is different cookie cutter mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Do we need time? Or are we ready to go? Hello. Uh, I'm I'm ready. Okay. Okay. What was that, Allison? Um, I'm ready. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, hi, Allison. I swear she said she was ready. <laughs> oh, hi, Rob. I'll just insert her. Oh, hi, Rob, from last episode. Cheep, 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 cheep. Yeah. I don't have that one. <laughs> she's got it. She's a, she's lost. <laughs> We've lost her. Oh, hi, listeners. <laughs> We're here to talk about Minute 56 of The Room, in which there are too many weirdos. Too many weirdos there. Uh-uh. Speaking of weirdos, oh, hi, Sean. <laughs> oh, hi, Robert. <laughs> hi, Sean. Oh, hi, Allison. Cheap, cheap, cheap. It's hard to do. Cheap, 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 I love... I love this minute. I'm just going to jump right in mm-hmm. because as as listeners know, if you were with us for minute 55, I'm a big fan of irony. Yeah. And we get another dose of of irony here. Real irony, not the Alanis Morissette rain on your wedding, wedding day. Black fly. Fly your Chardonnay irony, but real Chardonnay. irony. Yeah. It's like rain. Smoking sign on your um, cigarette break, <laughs> which is not—that's nothing. Well, the whole like the the no smoking sign on your cigarette break is like. Has anyone ever not smoked because of a no smoking sign? <laughs> like I see people. I don't. I I'm not. I don't. I, I I'm not a regular tobacco smoker anymore. But I see people smoking in front of no smoking signs. All the time. <laughs> so I don't, I, yeah. <laughs> but the, the irony in this minute is when Johnny begins to tell his origin story or the, the Johnny and Lisa origin story of how they met. Mm-hmm. And he starts off with, well, that's a very interesting story, <laughs> which is a hallmark because you know, any story that begins with, well, that's a very interesting story is almost never an interesting story. Oh, that's a very interesting story. So he is using words to mean something other than their actual literal meaning, and that is irony. It's it's actually remarkable in a way that the that Tommy got that as well. Like it's on purpose because they commented on it. Next, we'll get to it next minute. But Mark is like, "What's the interesting part?" I'm like, "Yeah, burn." Yeah, yeah. Good job, Mark. Yeah. Some things Mark does well. 
He ruins relationships. He does that really well. Yes, he does. And he causes. He wears the heck out of denim. He does that well. (laughs) Now, this minute, of course, starts with a reference to Beta Breakers. Uh, We haven't gone into much detail about the San Francisco stuff we see in this film, but I thought this one was interesting. It's a 12K race from downtown near the Embarcadero to the Great Highway by Ocean Beach. Begun after the 1906 earthquake because they wanted to get spirits up in the city, and it has been run annually ever since. It averages 70 to 80,000 participants, and in 1986 set a Guinness record for the largest foot race with 110,000. Mm. Many in the race run in costume or without clothing entirely. Some run in what's called centipedes, which is 13 or more participants linked together by like a bungee cord or a rope. And they set separate... And that's an entirely different move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in February 2009, city officials and race sponsors announced an official ban on floats, alcohol, drunkenness, and nudity because they're dumbasses. Fortunately, that hasn't stopped people from running naked, and there is still a party at the finish line every year. It is run at the end of May, which had me... I don't know much about astrology, but lately my family's been obsessed with it, but it had me thinking about what Johnny's sign is, and I think he might be a Taurus. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I may have had a website open about it. Oh, I do. Yay, I still have it open. That means he is reliable, patient, practical, devoted, responsible, and stable, but he is also stubborn, possessive, and uncompromising. Wow. That's that's Johnny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big astrology person, but eh, when it's right, it's right. What can you say? Now, as Allison has already been making sounds for us, this is, of course, is this, this is the first minute of Cheap, 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 right? Yeah, this is where it starts. Wait, this is the first minute? There's more? Oh, there's more. Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels to me kind of like the chicken thing in Back to the Future 2 where it, it has nothing to do with the first movie and suddenly it matters that someone calls you chicken. What's wrong, McFly? Chicken? What did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Nobody. Calls me chicken. I think Tommy was going for his second reference to Rebel Without a Cause with this, though. Because in Rebel Without a Cause, it's a big deal when people call each other chicken. Move. Is that meaning me? Is that meaning me? Chicken. Yes. You shouldn't call me that. Hmm. And he's already essentially quoted that movie with "You're tearing me apart." But it always it's 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 weird. But it's weird in a way that makes it feel like maybe Peter and these people might actually know each other and be friends. Because even Peter like joins in. Well, I don't think he calls it joins in this minute because everyone's calling him chicken. But mm-hmm. next time, I'm pretty sure he does. And Denny definitely joins in next time. He's not here yet for this one. So it's 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 like a. I don't know, weird friend thing. Yeah, so it does, it does show a certain level of camaraderie that it's most people are more comfortable. They're kind of poke fun at your friends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than a, a complete stranger. You're going to be more formal. Other than that, this seemed kind of strange to me. It, it is in the it, script though. Yeah. Okay. It's spelled chip, 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 even though that's not really how they pronounce it. <laughs> they say more cheap, but that's fine. Remember, Tommy was so as a foreigner in multiple ways. He's a 
Polish Maybe that's guy. the way they say it in uh, He's a Polish guy who lived in France, didn't like speaking French, even though he then moved to New Orleans, where they also speak French as well as English, <laughs> and then eventually made his way to San Francisco, as we're about to hear, because the story he tells is partly true. Now I don't know what language he speaks, so this is fine. <laughs> this is fine. This is, yeah. Yeah. Are, are we really going to be linguist about it? <laughs> you know, foreigners can make movies too, Sean. <laughs> I suppose. Well, that's fine because the the chickens don't. I assume chickens don't have a written language, and if they did, they wouldn't use the same alphabet we use. Probably so not. So it's there's always some interpretation when you're trying to, you know, if they're putting that in the script. They have some have played tic tac toe though, so they can understand. They can communicate with humans occasionally. Yes. Well, and, and checkers. Yeah. I don't mean to imply that chickens are not intelligent. Okay. Yeah, good. For our chicken listeners. For our chicken listeners. <laughs> Send your emails to <laughs> Sean German. Yeah, so when you're, you know, that kind of onomatopoeia, you're interpreting a sound and trying to write it out. I mean, they say it. It said it, They say it right. So I'm not really concerned how they spell it in the Boy, and in what may or may not be the script. I have trouble saying that word. I, ironically, maybe? Um, onomato- onomatopoeia? <laughs> Um, it's on, is it N, N before M? M I don't remember. But that's actually interesting if you look up how different, like, cultures spell sounds, like how they spell the same sound will be very Mm -hmm. different. Because they just, we have different values, you know? There was something I was going to say, but then I fact-checked it because I didn't want to sound dumb, and now it's no longer relevant because you guys have moved on. Was it about human centipedes? I'll go ahead and say it. Anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, like, we can edit it. We'll put it back James. in the but the part yeah. We'll make it make wrote. sense, okay. yeah. or we'll leave it here now that we talk about it. All right, put it put it at the part where you're talking about calling people chicken. Okay, so I was going to say names are important because in the olden days, like the founding fathers' time, 1800s, if you got called a puppy, you had a jewel. Wait, like there were certain names, there were certain names that if you got called, you had a duel, like coward, because it was a pride thing. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. had to be a man, mm-hmm. and one of those words was puppy. I did not know puppy was one of them. That's the <laughs> puppies are cute. Why would yeah, you a man's not cute. A man's manly. <laughs> oh, true, true. Now true. take out your gun. <laughs> so hmm. put that where it goes. All right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be like, I'm not a puppy. I'm a dog. Yeah, I'm a like I'm a, I'm a vicious dog. Well, I don't think you want to be a dog either, because that's more of a horrible. That I think that's probably negative as well. Oh, yeah, it's like a player, but I don't know if it meant player back in the 1800s. I'm sorry, <laughs> I should have just brought it up when I thought about it. You're teaching us things. Don't apologize. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that's very interesting. That that puppy was a you know that was considered fighting words mm-hmm. back at the dawn of. Uh, of our nation, the United States. Yeah. Hmm. I'm surprised they that wasn't part of Hamilton, that the end Burr calls him a puppy. And, <laughs> and that's what leads to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning more from this podcast than I did from Hamilton. <laughs> wow, I'm so educational. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you can put that on the on the poster yep. or the 
the the dust jacket or whatever. And in the <laughs> list of duels, in August 12, 1817, Thomas Hart Benton and Charles Lucas, attorneys on opposite sides of a court battle, dueled on the famous Bloody Island after Lucas challenged Benton's right to vote and Benton accused Lucas of being a puppy. <laughs> Lucas was shot in the throat and Benton shot in the leg, upon which Benton released Lucas from his obligation. I don't know what that means, but... That was how I fact checked it. The <laughs> obligation of the duel, or whatever the case was about, probably. If someone takes anyway. the wound and survives, you don't just keep dueling. You think shooting him is good enough, and you end it. Yeah, and that was 13 years after Hamilton died. Well, yeah, it hadn't been outlawed yet. Not until Andrew Jackson was president. Not Andrew Jackson. Wait. Yes, Andrew Johnson's the racist one. Andrew Jackson's the also racist one. It's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he he was uh, quite famous for dueling. For 30 years, he had a bullet in his chest that was never removed after a duel. It caused him a lot of problems with his health. Hmm. He also did he have trouble getting through uh, metal detectors at the airport? He would have, but TSA wasn't in place yet. All right, it's pre nine eleven. Yeah, pre nine eleven. Things were different then. Okay. Uh, he also helped us um, start the American version of the insanity plea because a guy attacked him, claiming he was king of like America and so that guy like pled that he was crazy and so he didn't have to go to proper prison or so I forget the details I had it in a speech once but that was years ago but it was a guy who tried to kill Andrew Jackson and both of his guns misfired so Andrew Jackson beat him up with his cane good times sometimes the racist ones are the violent ones shocker hmm. but anyway speaking of weirdos so yeah speaking of weirdos <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question about this this beta breakers thing mm-hmm is it is it dangerous? It's just a 12k race. Uh there is a hill, but not a very particularly big one. It's it runs through the city of San Francisco and then they have okay. a party. It's, it's just a thing. Yeah. Just for fun. I was wondering cuz they the the charge of chicken, like someone is afraid. Like see, this is this sounds like something I wouldn't do, but it's not that I'm afraid, I'm just lazy. I just I don't want to run. It, Isn't know, laziness ever. just another word for fear? <laughs> okay. All right. There, I'll buy that. Sure. I'm afraid of sweating. Yeah. So, yes. I guess I'm afraid of physical activity. <laughs> it frightens just, me. Yeah. I'm afraid of, uh, yeah. I guess it's a different kind of chicken, but okay. That that makes sense. Thank you. All right. I am chicken. And so is Peter, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, not according to Peter. He just doesn't like well, all no. the weirdos. And then they proceed to explain that, yes, there are weirdos. There was a blondie one with big tits, and there was one with a sign that said, Can you marry me? In a wedding dress. Mm-hmm. And Johnny thought he would take her up on it, which is odd, because yeah. he's been together well, with Lisa for five to seven years. Yes. And not that the men in real life aren't... <laughs> true, true. Aren't, you know, can't be inconsistent and, and confusing, but like you were just saying how... You know, you want to marry Lisa, and she's teasing you that maybe she won't marry you. But, oh, but then I thought I would take up this stranger who was running this race. Yeah. To be fair, he does in laugh. I thought I would take her up on it. <laughs> Three times in that line. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's establishing this is a joke. Obviously, this is a joke. As he does in this black yes. comedy. And then we get an interesting exchange because Mark says he never ate so much, which if you don't know what Beta Breakers is, you don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) 
And so it's like this really inside San Francisco line because, yeah, there is a huge party at the finish line every year. And But my favorite thing of this is Johnny's response. Yeah, the barbecue chicken was delicious rice. That was cool. The way he says, yeah, the barbecue chicken was delicious, sounds like the most real thing that Tommy Wiseau has ever said. Like, for a second, he drops the persona of Johnny, he drops whatever persona Tommy is, hmm. and he's this other person for a moment, remembering this really good barbecue chicken. I'm like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I've had, I've had chicken. He's like using that, his yeah. sense memory in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And then he says something about like the rice was so cool, but the cut messes with the audio. But the way he says the barbecue chicken was delicious, like I believe him. <laughs> like he is thinking of that chicken in that moment and he is out of character. He's just like, yeah, I have, I've had fantastic barbecue chicken at Beta Breakers. And that's wonderful. You know, it's reality seeping through. <laughs> it is. I hadn't picked up on it just watching kind of the middle of this minute mm. quickly while you were talking. His, yeah, like his accent changes, his mm-hmm. voice changes. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, why, I want, like, why isn't that guy the whole movie? Exactly. Like, why isn't that guy Johnny? Like, you could have put on that voice for the whole time. We might have <laughs> liked you more. Well, people like him plenty. Yeah. But I mean, we might have liked Johnny more if he was this regular guy who loves barbecue chicken. It's delicious. Yeah. And just in that moment. He's remembering. Yeah, you know, a good chicken is is a powerful thing. Yes. uh, I'm with him there. In my notes I wrote it. it, This conversation here feels like Tommy and Greg talking about running data breakers. Mm -hmm. Like, they forgot they're filming a movie for a moment. They're just talking. And that's nice because this is best friends making a movie together. And Peter. And then Peter has to jump in and say they're both (laughs) weird. And then Peter comes in. Peter's turn to be the asshole. Yeah. and, And Mark is a bit of an instigator. Oh, yeah. Certainly. Well, more than a bit with the whole, you know, who's king of the house thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, come on, man. Who's the king of the house? <laughs> I can't just because Johnny's being considerate of Lisa. Yeah, we can't play cards because he expects Lisa. Maybe he means Lisa might want to play cards. Maybe she's really into it. Maybe she's got a gambling addiction. We don't know. Maybe. You don't play cards in front of Lisa. She's very competitive. We know the computer business is very competitive. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the last several scenes have established this sort of theme that the world is becoming very controlled by the women and the men are feeling weak. So, yeah, this is important to the, the messaging of the film is who's the king of the house, which is funny coming from Mark. Maybe more of your irony, if you like. I'm not an expert on irony, which might make talking about it ironic. I don't know. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> and isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. And yeah, I really do think. Asking who's the king of the house comes from the guy who is, like, literally trying to, like, tear down his role. And, mm-hmm. and then he's literally wrong. Damn. Yeah. Another instance where we as the audience know something mm-hmm. that Johnny does not. That, that imbues meaning it's, into Mark's Yeah, question. it's like Mark just saying, like, oh, your relationship's not going so well? Wow. Maybe you should do better or something. Yeah. You're not a man, probably because your woman is stepping out on you. Mark's just a bad boy. Yeah. But then the detective steps in and says, yeah, you've got to establish these guidelines before you get married. And even though I don't feel that this is the first time Peter has ever talked to Johnny... He then asks, how'd you ever meet Lisa you never told us? Which I am not buying at all. This is a story Johnny tells, like, probably monthly, because he thinks it's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's been 
five or seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's had plenty of opportunity. Yep. But maybe, I mean, he, he maybe he just met Peter. Right. Maybe Peter's he's new. new in town. Or maybe, he, despite them being best friends, maybe Mark is new to the overall group. And that's why Lisa's attraction has just happened is because Mark just came into her life, even though he's been in Johnny's for a while. And so it's like right. this grouping of these three people is new. And so Peter's like, yeah, how this, what's going to, well, tell us about this. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting story. And then we get to the very interesting story. That is actually probably partly true. As Greg Sestero tells it in The Disaster Artist, Pierre started calling himself Thomas about the same time he came to San Francisco, where he had arrived with two black suitcases and a $2,011 check, which were his wages from working at a grocery store in Chalmette, Louisiana. And that check was from a local bank in Louisiana, so he did have trouble cashing it. Mm-hmm. And he, Thomas proceeded to pick up lodging at YMCA on Leavenworth Avenue because someone had told him he could. Shortly after he got to San Francisco, probably within a few days, he started selling yo-yos at Fisherman's Wharf. Uh, later, he would also sell toy birds. And then he would cut out being the middleman for some other guy who was buying these things. He started buying them himself and selling them. And that's how he made a lot of money and earned the nickname Birdman, which led to his last name as we know it which is a uh, portmanteau of the French word for bird, we sell. That is an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Johnny's is yeah. not as interesting because it, it cuts out. <laughs> no, Johnny should have told that story. Again, it, it, t- Tommy is, well, and this is probably true of, of many people, but, uh, you know, in in the movie business, but Tommy is a much more compelling character yes. than Johnny. It's also interesting to me that, like, in a previous scene, we know behind the scenes, Tommy got upset when Greg mentioned Guerrero Street. All mm-hmm. he does mention it because that's where right. Tommy had an apartment. Yet in this thing, he's basically telling a story that half of it is accurate to his life. And he's telling it anyway when he seems like a really private guy who doesn't use this real stuff in his story. But in this scene, I guess he couldn't help it mm-hmm. he, because he thought it was an interesting story. Peter would say, you know, you often have trouble seeing your own fault. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of – I picture – I'm, I'm hoping that, that Tommy like was able to spend a month living off of that $2,000 check, kind of like the, um, the, the Twain story, the million pound banknote mm. that just everywhere he went, you know, he'd have a meal and be like, Oh, well, you know, can you cash this check? And they'll be like, well, no, we'll just then give you the meal on credit. Yeah. Well, he, he had the luck of getting a job at Fisherman's Wharf, like the week he got here. So I think he was fine. And then he was apparently rather good at selling yo-yos and then toy birds because he was good at flying. They're little toy birds that fly when you throw them. And he was really mm-hmm. good at it. Yeah. And tourists loved it. Well, I mean, that's so he goes from hawking doodads and whatnot on, on, on the street, sleeping at the Y to making his own major motion picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The American dream. In a matter of decades. <laughs> just a few short yes. decades. Just a, just a few, yeah. It was what, 25 years later ish. <laughs> and 25 years later, he's an overnight success. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. It's inspiring. Yeah. Now, because of the big audience reaction to the previous minutes with Peter, there is only one note from a midnight screening for this minute. Notes from a midnight screening. Just like Allison, the audience cheep cheep cheeps along with along with Johnny. 
because you have to. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Yeah, you, you have. That's kind of a sort of an obvious mm-hmm. thing for the audience to do. Cheap. And that it, then they just kind of hang out and listen to the story, possibly because it's just so very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because they're friends and they take an interest in each other's lives. Yeah. And they want to know. Speaking of each other's lives, Sean, how is your podcasting life going and where can the listeners hear more of it? <laughs> Yeah, if you want to hear more of my podcasting life, uh, you should probably go to catandshawn.org. And that's cat, C-A-T, and Sean, S-C-A-N.org. And from there, I link to all my podcasting stuff. So we've got Spinal Tap Minute, Groundhog Minute, The Next Scene, and all my guest appearances, including this one. So it's nothing wrong when people make fun of the project, in this case, The Room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening. And remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us! Cut. Perfect.